Good morning, everyone. The Mary Griffith Show is underway on this Tuesday, January 10th, the second Tuesday of the month, which means our topic today revolves around the Quincy Public Schools. Of course, the Mary Griffith Show brought to you each and every morning by Refreshment Services Pepsi and Harvest Ridge Coffee. Have a delicious cup of Harvest Ridge. Or get your second cup going, get a refill, sit down, relax, and enjoy the Mary Griffith Show, Harvest Ridge Coffee and Refreshment Services Pepsi at home or on the road at your local convenience store. We are joined today by Marcy Wells, and she is the director of what is called the Academy at Quincy Public Schools, and she's been around for a long time and has a lot of experience in the Quincy Public School system. So I think we're just going to start there, uh, Marcy. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your education background. Maybe briefly take us through your career path at Quincy Public Schools because I've got a lot of questions to ask you about <laughs> changes in, in addition to what's looking forward to in the future. So tell us the Marcy Wells story. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. It's great to be here. Um, well, I would guess my career um, started with uh, my experiences as an adolescent, honestly. I've always had amazing uh, teachers in my life who always were there for me, uh, not just for educational reasons that you would think traditionally, which is academics, but also social-emotionally. So um, with that being said, I always knew that I wanted to help um, other students and advocate for kids. And um, after attending Culver Stockton College right across uh, the river there, um, had some great influences, and I started my career in special education here in Quincy at Washington Elementary School. And also in the... Um, I was very fortunate to also be a volleyball coach, so a couple different lenses there in education. And so from there, um, I was very fortunate to be hired um, at Baldwin South Intermediate School and worked with um, a little bit older students there. And then from there, um, had the great opportunity to spend a huge amount of my time, 12 years as a matter of fact, at Adams Elementary School, and then um, proceeded to make a little bit of a shift and work, um, special education has always been my passion and working with students who maybe don't always have a voice or know how to advocate for themselves. So I found myself really returning to that world and I spent a couple years running the um, school as the coordinator and a teacher out at the Adams County Juvenile Detention School. And then I've spent the last five years at what is now called the Academy. This is my first year as the director, though. I've had some great people before me laying the foundation. When you taught at the Juvenile Detention Center, were you on the employee of the Quincy Public Schools? Yes, ma'am. Okay. That is part of Quincy Public Schools. Um, it's, it's like a little school inside the detention center. And it is, um, I think, one of the most um, underrated um, areas that we serve because students really do an amazing job there when they are um, able to eliminate a lot of negative outside influences and um, they really do enjoy coming to school and as you know I have been around for a very long time 29 years and so I um, had an advantage where I knew most of the families and students there just because of my experiences in the Quincy Public Schools so I was Sometimes I was their elementary principal, so ironically enough. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting. Um, uh, Roy Webb had said that one of the um, hardest things for him to do was after the death of the student at the hands of another student, he had to go out to the juvenile detention center and talk with that young man about, you know, how are we going to turn mm -hmm. your life around? How are we going to make a difference here? And so the other thing that's interesting about being out there, and if you can comment on this, you don't know how long you're going to have the student. The student may be 
held or detained for a day, a week, six months, until they're almost an adult. So they could do a whole year of schooling behind bars, or they could just do a, a few days of lessons. So obviously, the longer they stay out there, the more critically important it is that they have a good education, because some of them are going to face some situations where they're going to have to be punished, perhaps, for something they did wrong. They're not proven guilty yet. But this is their chance to get an education, because there may not be that chance the next step they take. Absolutely. Um, and you um, that was well said. There's a high mobility uh, rate, um, as there is in my current um, position. And I do think it's really neat to watch the students evolve because um, sometimes with their type of history that they may, whether it's the first time that they have had an infraction with the law or, you know, multiple, um, I think it's really exciting because for them, they can have some consistency, and then, of course, uh, their attendance is great. You know, I know you've <laughs> talked with many of my... Um, no truancy when you're behind bars. That's you don't right, have any choice. <laughs> right. Well, many of my colleagues I know have talked about truancy and, and the struggles we have with that, and I know that's that's not a Quincy issue. It's it's in Illinois and, you know... Nationwide. Yes, ma'am. So, uh, so in saying that, you know, it's hard to shine and it's hard to succeed if you don't show up, so... That is a great advantage. Well, that's why it brings us to your current job as director of the academy. Now, the academy sounds like some elite school for <laughs> Biffy and Buffy, and they're all wearing their uniforms and their their uh, silk ties. Um, the academy is a, just a nice way to say students that are really struggling in the day-to-day classroom setting are grouped together in a place where they get a little bit more attention and perhaps a little bit more cultural and social emotional now you mentioned being a child I do know that my teachers were a big part of my social emotional development because my mother was so ill when I was little but I don't remember ever going up to a teacher going I have social emotional needs Um, if you could just uh, take a time out from teaching me math and work on my social emotional needs that'd be really great right now so the adults in the room have to rep, have to understand that the kids have social emotional needs even when they don't know how to put words on that. So yes. who goes to the academy? Yes. So um, the academy, unfortunately, you can't just walk right in and say, hey, I'd love to enroll my students here because we do, um, contrary to popular belief, we do have a lot of families who have had um, friends or relatives that have attended and and have achieved great success. And so people do reach out wanting to know information about our school. Um, but the way that um, our student or our school serves students is we actually serve Adams County. And so it's not just Quincy Public Schools that attend. It is also our surrounding small county schools, which is Liberty, Camp Point, uh, Minden, and Payson. And so uh, there is a referral process. So uh, students do have to be suspension or expulsion eligible in their home school in order to be referred to um, our school as a serving school. So they never um, cut ties with their home school. However, sometimes it's for a semester and sometimes it's for a year or a couple of years, but just depending on each student's individual growth, that determines how long they stay with us and um, it's based individualized on students' achievement. Okay. What are the grade levels that you serve at the academy? We serve um, seventh graders, 
um, through 12, and we say 12 plus because um, state law is that you can, if you are in general education, you can receive services up to the day before your 21st birthday. And then if you have a student with an IEP, um, then you can do the same except for up to the day before your 22nd birthday. Okay. So ideally, this is the focused help that these children and, frankly, young adults are needing to try to make them successful in society. Um, I have a couple of questions about that, and I want to talk, since you've been around in this for so long, and from special ed and to specialized education, mm-hmm. because some of these children, I mean, it's so interesting the difference between a child who's intellectually unable to grasp a concept. I mean, you're not going to take someone whose intellectual developmental uh, ability has pretty much capped out at, say, third grade. Trying to teach them calculus is not an effective way. It's trying to make them the best mind that they have and do the most tasks that they can succeed in their everyday life. But then you've also got the smarty pants who could do calculus, (laughs) but they ain't going to have none of that. So um, is it mostly behavior-driven problems at the academy rather than intellectual disability? Yes, Mary. Um, So we work a lot with um, our staff on research around trauma. And so trauma can look different for different people. And um, sometimes trauma can be just an event and a tough time you're going through life for whatever reason. Or sometimes it can be years and years and years and, you know, anywhere in between. And so that is really the focal point. And uh, we are very fortunate to work with the Regional Office of Education actually um, in that area. And we continue to learn more and more about brain research, about um, what trauma um, can do to our young brains and even us as adults, how how we can go to work every day and be resilient and learn to deal with um, barriers or difficult times and situations in our lives. So, you know, some people think of trauma that it has to be this huge, massive event um, in your life, and it really uh, does not have to be. It can be something as simple as, you know, a, a sick care ki- caregiver. It could be something with a terminal illness. It could be... Um, you know, the family unit, uh, the division of the family unit or change in your, your home situation. It could be um, problems with the law. It could be uh, years and years of abuse. It, it can really um, look different for everybody because yeah. we all deal with it differently. Every we all have a different level. Every different. Every dealing with mm-hmm. it is different, and every child is different. Yes. So. Let's talk about changes maybe to an approach to handle, quote, unquote, the troubled youth, because I think for some people, it's almost like a throwaway child. Oh, their dad was a bum. Their mother's no good. What hope is there for them? And uh, whether you like his politics or not, I think Jesse Jackson said it succinctly. I may have been born in the ghetto, but the ghetto wasn't born in me. And somehow his grandmother you know, encouraged him, and he got himself to the University of Illinois, and he got himself on a path where, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, how you feel about him, he's certainly more successful than probably half the kids on his block. So whatever success means, I mean, he's had some problems. used to show him as a great example, and now we know a little bit more about his life. He's not quite as successful maybe by some (laughs) standards. But the point is, um, what made him be able to do that with somebody having faith in him and then somebody else getting him to the University of Illinois. You know, he probably, on his own, probably didn't even know how to apply to the University of Illinois. A lot of the stuff that people think 
that they're so smart, somebody else already did it for them. Like, Correct. you know, I don't remember except being born into the situation I had. I don't really remember having to try too, 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 too hard for anything much to happen to me because there were always five or six grown-ups who were cultivating that. Sure. Now you throw some 15-year-old kid out there on their own and they're smart as a whip, but they've got nothing. Sure. And that's the throwaway kids. You know, those are the ones that I think everybody needs to be more worried about because if we throw them away when they're 15, when they're 35, we're paying for them to be in prison for the rest of their life. So how has it changed the approach to dealing with, quote, the troubled children? Oh, well, that's a the difficult way of saying it, but I... Yeah, well, what, I, what should I say? No, I totally understand, and I, I mean, think perceptions... I think perceptions are are people's reality, and so they have problems. Well, really, problems have been inflicted on them. Sure. I mean, this is really the t- tragedy. Sure. Of it. It's not like the fifteen-year-old yes. is inherently evil. Sure. The fifteen-year-old has been learned has, behavior, has inherently and... evil things happening to them all sure. the time, and this is how they react to them. Sure. And sometimes it's honestly, you know, peer pressure and the things that are influencing students today, um, where they make mistakes, and other times it is. Um, um, you know, that continuous uh, neglect or abuse or things like that. So I totally understand. And I think when you talked about the grandparent and you talked about the one caring adult, and that's really what our school is based and designed, uh, we want every student to have a champion. And so we really have to get to know our students and individually, and but we have to um, – Breakthrough. I always say peel back the layers. Um, when you're in early education, a lot with our young students in elementary, talk about um, like an onion and how you peel back uh, the layers of the onion. And that's how it is with trying to get to the depth of, of the heart of the problem or the barrier obstacle for students and why they won't try. So the first step for us is really just getting them to school. Sometimes students who have had um, multiple levels of um, infractions at school or just with adults they just defy you know uh, rules or expectations um, they don't have that level of trust so the first thing is to get them to school and then once they're at school you have to deal with the good bad and the ugly and so what happens is kids know at our school that we um, since we're smaller because I, I will just tell you Every school I've been in, I work with amazing educators. So there's not an educator out there that I've ever worked with that doesn't love students and they're not there for kids. And so but the day in and day out um, obstacles can make it hard to really work intensely with students who need more um, of your time, especially when it comes to social emotional. So kids have to learn to be vulnerable. They have to trust you. And you have to really work on those true relationships. But you also have to show them that you're going to be there even through the failures. And every day is literally a new day. And sometimes it's every minute's a new minute. We work a lot on regulation and it's really interesting as when as we have been developing that in our school and really trying to make our school a pleasant place for everyone um and meeting the needs of of everybody, we've learned as adults that wow, that really works for me as well. So it's really neat to see us evolve. And so working with students who have trouble or have obstacles or have made some serious mistakes, um, we have to say that there are no throwaway kids. You know, every child does deserve an opportunity. And honestly, many of my students have my great admiration because they overcome obstacles that I don't know how they do it every day. I don't know how they, they walk in the door every day and give us an opportunity to try. You know, we have a lot of kids who are homeless. We have a lot of students who um, live different, you know, couch to couch or but. We also have a lot of students who work 
I have students who work 40 hours a week and still are getting their education, and I really admire that. That's hard. I would have never been able to do that at that age, no matter. And I'm a pretty strong-willed person, and I'm pretty stubborn, but the fact that they uh, let us work with them and monopolize the schedule a little bit so that it can work for them, because we do have an online program and we do have an in-person opportunity. And so I think that you have to have individuals who, number one, just believe in every kid, and then you have to help the child see it. But here's our other thing, too. They have to work harder than we do, and that's really difficult sometimes, too, because sometimes we can enable people when we're trying to help them. So um, it's just very important that we never look at the the baggage, I guess you would say, that kids carry in the door. You know, it's fresh eyes and moving forward thinking and setting goals. Well, the baggage has to be dealt with, obviously, as they move on in life, but um it's so – I was just watching uh, the documentary Becoming with Michelle Obama. It's been out for several years now. But one thing that really shocked me about that – now, here she grew up in an intact family, both mm-hmm. parents working, south side of Chicago, not impoverished, not rich, but not impoverished. Her brother gets accepted to Princeton, and when she goes to talk to her guidance counselor about where she's going to school, she says, I'd like to go to Princeton like my brother did. And the guidance counselor says, no, I don't think you can hack it. Now – It's just as amazing. What if Michelle Obama, Michelle Robinson at the time, had gone home and said, no, Princeton's out. What should I do? The whole trajectory of her life would have changed dramatically. Um, But she didn't let that one person um, define her. She said, I think I can do it. And she did, obviously. But... She also is trying to reach other people who are in similar circumstances. And one of the things that I've had several of my friends say that um, came from bad circumstances but now have risen above, it's very difficult for people to relate to them because, like, I look at you, you look very successful. I don't know anything about your background. I know you're well-groomed, you're well-dressed, you obviously have a job where you make a head of household living. So I've made some judgments about you upon looking Mm -hmm. at you, you know, um, so you would not know that I probably had a learning disability when I was in school. And so you can mm-hmm. relate, but you have to tell me you can relate. If Absolutely. I'm a kid with a learning disability, sure. I don't look at Marcy Wells and go, oh, well, she gets it. Yes, we share stories for sure. So I was raised by um, a very strong-willed mother. Um, I do not um, did not have contact with my biological father, um, but I also... Um, was one of those people, as you can imagine, I love to talk, so I was a very social person, And um, but I was not great at academics. I tried really hard, but academics were difficult for me, and I was the student in high school who was told that my ACT score was not high enough for me to go on to college, and so um, I'm a very resilient person, and for me, that was um, kind of like what you just said. I am I cannot compare to the story you were just talking about, but I can relate to that story because I, too, was told um, just keep your job that you have. I started working when I was 13. That was just something that I had to do and loved to do because it taught me a lot of uh, great work ethic. Um, However, um, you know, you miss out on things in your childhood, but that was something I had to do. And then um, I guess you have to prove them wrong, and so you have to decide. You know, there's pivotal points in our lives all the time, and And for me, I had the right teacher, and I really do bring that back because, you know, families try, and you can have great support. Even that, I had a really um, an amazing mother, and I've had a lot of other great influences and fathers in my life. But I uh, will say um, 
it's different when you hear it from somebody else. You know, parents sometimes you think are there to, you know, they don't know anything, they're stupid, whatever, they're, you know, it, there's rules and all those things, and they're there to ruin your life, right? So, right? Absolutely. So sometimes, you know, when you look up to those other people, and I had that when I was in elementary school, and so those people who believe in you, and then I had it even as an adult when I would continually go to my volleyball practice, and I had um, the coach that I was my uh, – I consider him to be one of my mentors, and he was my boss at the time. He'd say, you know, you come into practice. It's time for volleyball. Why do you have all these questions about kids? Because I was always asking, like, why can't my students have this, or why is it – because he was an administrator in the district. So I just looked to him as advice, and, and through that, he said, why don't you go back and get your education? And I thought, that's the first person who told me I could. Like, I'd already convinced myself that – Hey, I already got the first one just because I love to play volleyball and went on a scholarship for volleyball and then proved that I could get, you know, that degree because I felt, you know, I loved working with kids my whole life. But it's just amazing how one belief, one person saying that. And I can recall a student that we received this year that came to us from the county school and his within the first couple of weeks of school. And he was a kid that would probably be considered at his school, probably one of the toughest kids. And he came to us and he had one of our teachers say to him, um, oh, I can't wait to see you graduate. And and he then went back and told his mother and then uh, came to our, in our curriculum night, which is very early on in the, in the school year, and stated, this is the person, the first time I heard someone tell me that they think I can graduate. Now, of course, all his teachers believed that, but nobody had just said that to him or, or thought that he would even care because he was that tough kid. Or took it for granted that, Everybody assumed that they would graduate and didn't understand that some kids need a little extra help yes. seeing that dream. Yes, and he's the kid that I had to, like, go grab him when we went to him, when we first met him to come to our school. I'm not going to that school. You know, I'm not going. And to now, like, I never want to leave. I feel safe, you know, and that's what we want for every kid. They need to feel safe. And, so. and that's why you say, you know, you have to be careful who you let into the academy because <laughs> everybody wants in. I mean, it does sound exclusive, and after you've been there and been helped by it, you wish you could. You wish it could be like. Well, what do you mean? Sure. My other kids can't go. What do you mean? My yes. friends can't go. I'd like the special private school treatment, right. like the academy. Right. But it's for uh, those who have a uh, special needs that are academic needs mostly, and it's those kids that really need to find some way in their own language to want to excel and want to be successful. Marcy Wells is my guest today. She's the director of the academy, her first year in that job with the Quincy Public Schools, but she's been a school teacher, especially a special ed teacher for many years. Hey, my guest today is Marcy Wells from the academy. This is a special school within a school for Adams County. Uh, it is at 14th and Main. Yes, ma'am. And um, how many students do you have there, Marcy? Well, currently we are at 43 students. Wow. We can take um, our max is about 90. Um, and I say about because we do have that online option. And so that's a little bit um, more negotiable than the in person. But obviously uh, we try to remain 10 or less students in a classroom just so that we can uh, work with students individually, and we know there's a lot of anxiety when you have um, students with some high stakes um, trauma or obstacles currently that they're dealing with. And so uh, somebody having a bad day can obviously have that domino effect. And so in, in order for us to have the gains that we have, we do have to have a smaller intimate um, environment for our students and then also a more controlled environment where, like, for example, um, you know, at all the schools, you'll hear a lot of families and educators complain about cell phones. Well, 
At our school, the cell phones get locked up when you walk in the door, and that that alleviates um, a huge uh, barrier or maybe an instigator of some students' uh, distraction, and um, it can be uh, triggers for students, you know, if someone is. Right. So it's. So well, we, I mean, we do have a more intimate environment. The problem is, if you're going to make them successful in life, they, they can't be on their cell phone all the time. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many welding classes we're going to have to have where you can have a head of household job when you graduate and you only have to spend 14 weeks. But you can't pass a drug test and you can't put your cell phone down. And, Absolutely. you know, I talk to these employers all the time and they say, just give me somebody that will actually show up on time and will do the job without checking, you know, every time there's a notification. So these are cultural issues that our society has allowed some people to go so far outside the norm that they are not employable. And to me, one of the things that this academy has to do as a taxpayer to me, I have to get these children, when they graduate, to be able to make their own way. I don't care how they do it. I mean, I want them to be happy in whatever job they choose. And there are people that can make six figures in the trade. So just get there and understand with a little bit of effort you can do it. Um, But it's very difficult when the teachers are trying to help But even the fellow students, I know a lot of people, and I would be one of them, I've never had kids, but I can see myself, if I had a bright student and there was somebody taking up the teacher's time in a regular classroom all the time with all their issues, I would be like, excuse me, that child's problem can't become my problem. We can't hold everybody back because this person is having a bad day. Because if you've got 20 kids in a class, on any given day, every one of them will be having a bad day. So... Is that part of the reason the academy is so successful? But how do you keep them from injecting each other's bad days on each sure. other? Um, you know, some days there are days like that, and other days it, it's the most beautiful thing you can imagine. But a couple of things we do is our, day, our structure of our day looks a little different. Um, you know, in a traditional high school or junior high, students rotate uh, multiple times, six or seven different blocks um, or periods a day. And so we have our students focus on four subject matters at a time. So it's kind of confusing, but our quarter of school is actually semester. So that helps two ways. It has students focus on uh, less number of items, so um, four at a time, but it also allows them, if they have been deficient, like in their credits or something because of their absences or being um, not able to attend school due to infractions or so on or moving or whatever obstacle they have in their life, it does allow them to make up their credits and to try to catch up with their age-equivalent peers. And so uh, one thing, though, that we do within the environment is we start every period with what's called a connect time. And so it's a time that students are allowed to what first thing they do when they walk in the room of course is the open arms of their of their um, teacher and then they sit and then we talk about specific topics but we also allow students to if there's something else on their mind that may be a problem for them to get started when it does come to instructional time you know let's get it out let's talk about it but so that really is twofold one it helps students be heard but also it allows them to realize the whole world doesn't revolve around me. So they have to learn how to be accepting of others' differences. And like you had talked about, appearances. So you can look at someone, you think, oh, like, oh, that's a tough guy, or oh, that's the quiet person, or that's the person who cries when, you know, how we can stereotype people very easily by their body language or how they're responding. Um, it gives the kids an opportunity to see, oh, wow, they've, oh, that really happened to them. 
ooh, that makes a little more sense. So they don't have to be best friends, and they don't really have to even be friends, but maybe they then all, all of a sudden have just like a, a mutual respect. Sometimes they won't admit it, but they will show it by their actions where now I'm not going to give that kid such a hard time or I'm not going to try to bait that student or, you know, get them upset so that they have so that I become one of their triggers. Like so if it's arguing or whatever. So um, and honestly, you know, that's a life lesson. Like I know adults that have a hard time with that. Absolutely. So it kind of left you clear the air a little bit before you get into the nitty gritty. And so students have an opportunity. And then like a teacher is really good at, at looking at body. It's kind of like a check-in with kids too. And so when you can see a student may be acting differently than they normally act, or a student has a heavy topic or something may have occurred, then they have an opportunity to um, radio for assistance, which we have three student support family liaisons in our school. And so then they are like the next person that a student can go talk to if they need a little extra time or if they need to clarify something or Maybe they have, um, you know, they're afraid to go home, like when they go home or be gone from home because they're not sure if they're going to have a home to go home to. Or maybe it's because um, I might get fired from my job and I might not have an income. Or maybe I have a court date coming up and I'm really nervous about it and I just need to talk to someone about it. So, And so we allow that time that we, you know, nurture that, work through it, and then we always try to get them back into the classroom. And so other schools would do that if they had the manpower to do that. Our school is just unique in the fact that we we have that. If you can get them socially and emotionally right and give them the tools they need to learn, uh, if they haven't learned something and they're 25, they could read a book or they can go and, and mentor with somebody and learn the skill. But they're never going to know that if you don't get them socially and emotionally right. And this has been a big argument in our society. Teachers as babysitters, the school as a parent. I mean, there are some people that just rail against this. They are just absolutely convinced that education is on the absolute wrong track because we are the parents to the children. We wash their clothes. We feed them. We care about them. I mean, you should be teaching me reading, writing, and arithmetic, and all the rest of that should be happening in the home. Great idea, in, but in practicality, that doesn't work. And so as we get more and more programs, what is your success rate, by the way? Because at certain, when you get to be a certain age, you can drop out. Yes. And um, I will tell you, there was a couple things with that. So first of all, um, we have already graduated six students this year. One of them actually was an 11th grader who started with us um, as a 7th grader. So we see that as a huge success. It's a student who didn't even, was a high risk for dropout. And so... Graduated um, early. Yes. And actually, once, because you know, once they start earning students, once they realize I can control the number of credits I get, I can control how fast I work. And we always say, well, if you're tired of us or you, you don't, you know... I can't repeat all the language and things that might be said some days, um, but uh, we'll say, well, if, if that's really what you want, then how about you show me and you finish your class and then you move on. And so we do actually help students connect with that. Um, our Votech school at the, at the senior high is amazing, too. We have a lot of kids who learn trades, so we do have some students who are half day out there, half day with us. We do, like I said earlier, we never... Um, disconnect from homeschool because ideally our goal is for them to go back to their homeschool um, if that works for them and um, and so they're always willing to help as well so we always we don't want to throw students back into an environment and that they haven't maybe sometimes they haven't even been there they came to us at junior high age they've never even been out at the high school maybe so that's very scary it's intimidating it's huge 
it's huge. You go from everybody is looking right at me when I walk in the door and I have all well, these people. If I go to class to, of 43, yes. I mean, you know, that's like the smallest yes. private rural school. Little and rural they don't school. know me. And they, they don't, don't know me. Yeah. And they don't know anything about me. And they're going to judge me and I'm going to judge them. And, and we're right back on the treadmill because you're basically dealing with people whose little psyches are not fully developed. And we have enough trouble as adults behaving well around each other. Uh, it's almost impossible to think that children that have been taught nothing about social etiquette, how to get yourself heard, um, how to take the reins, how to be forceful without being violent. I mean, all these things that most people learn over a long continuum of toddling to grave, you're trying to compress a lot of that and to get them ready for society. So what, how do you judge success? And we've only got about a minute sure. left. So, you know, as a taxpayer, because this costs a lot of money, there's no doubt about it, this sure. costs a lot of money. So as a taxpayer, how am I judging? Sure. So we, Academy is successful? our three goals for students is attendance, um, credit, or if, in case of junior high, completion of their classes, and then behavior. And so those are, and if you look at any school, ideally, that's what all schools focus on. And so for us, we look at our response to interventions, and we help students along that journey. So um, for us, success is any time a student can either uh, main, uh, receive their diploma, continue their education, uh be in a job that's going to help them potentially move up. We actually have a lot of students who move into management roles very young. And so for us, success is individualized, but also as a whole school. We still hold ourselves to the same standards as our entire school district. It's very important, and I love this conversation. Marcy Wells, uh, if you've never had a child that's had these kind of problems, you are totally oblivious and maybe didn't even know that this went on, uh, that the kids come from Menden and Payson and Liberty every day to come to a school in Quincy where they are in an academic program that is trying to get them to be successful where they are and to move them forward. Uh, folks, we've got to have tax-paying citizens. They've got to get a job. We've got to get them to give back, and this is one of the ways that hopefully uh, will work. Uh, gosh, three decades of your life has been <laughs> devoted to children. Marcy Wells, thank you so very much. Really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you, Mary.